God, thank you so much that you are here and you love us so much. I ask that you'd fill us all with your spirit and your presence, especially your spirit of rest this morning. I ask that you'd fill us up with um, just so much rest and also just a a delight in you and the words that you have to say to us this morning. I ask that um, it would also be really fun this morning, um, fun and restful, and that we really would feel the things that bind us um, being put at your feet, that every chain would be broken this morning um, as we just come and encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am really, really bad at resting. Um, in fact, I'm really good at working, and I'm really bad at resting. Uh, and the topic of my sermon today is actually going to be on Sabbath rest. And if you had talked to me about a year ago, I would have been the last person who's giving a sermon on Sabbath rest. Um, I was very busy all the time, and I was not taking Sabbaths. I knew what a Sabbath was. I knew it was a day of rest, but, I mean, who has time for that? All I had time for was to feel a little guilty that I wasn't taking Sabbath rest because I knew it would probably be good for me. But, I mean, really, who has time for that? So I was not good at taking a Sabbath, and so today when I explain my journey, it really is from a place of, hey, I was really bad at resting. God got a hold of my life. And now I see that resting is really part of God's heart for us as a people. Um, So let me explain a little bit of that. So to fill you in a little bit about my journey, um, I was doing a lot of stuff. I was working uh, last summer and early fall um, full-time for the harbor. I was doing the Navigate training school. I was also um, doing communications admin. I even did Liz's role, um, which is setting up, you know, and manning the Sunday operations. Um, a lot of the jobs as staffing kind of dispersed um, were under my umbrella. I was also on top of that, so full-time work for the harbor. On top of that, I was also teaching courses um, first in, at Boston Architectural College, then at Montserrat College of Art. So I was working over full-time, and man, it felt good. I was going, man, I'm so good at this. I'm on the top of my game. I can do all this creative work, and everyone's saying, Beth, you're so awesome. You're an artist, and you're so organized. How do you do all this stuff? And I'm like, I know, I'm on the top of my game. You know, <laughs> so it was really fun time for me. But underneath it all, I was getting more and more and more tired. And what I was realizing was, hey, this is fun for a little bit, but I feel like the work never ends. I'm always working and never stopping. And it got so bad that I even went camping with Elizabeth to take a break, and I brought papers to grade with me, and I'm grading around the campfire with her. You know, it's not, no one should live like this. Finally, knowing that I wasn't going to stop myself and I wasn't going to take a rest, God made me take a rest. And last October, I started having weird allergic reactions to food. At first, I thought I was allergic to nuts because the first time um, this happened, it felt like my throat was swelling up and closing up. Um, It happened after eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I thought, oh, weird, peanut allergy, you know. Um, But then as I eliminated nuts from my diet, you know, a few days later, I'm eating something else and my throat closes up. By the way, I'm Every time my throat closes up, I go to the ER, right? So it's a big ordeal, you know? So my throat closes up. um, I get down to eating, you know, after a few weeks, chicken, boiled chicken, rice, a little bit of juice, mostly water. I was down to just eating those things, and my throat was still closing up. I actually had an allergic reaction 
used an EpiPen after eating rice and drinking some water. You know, this is how bad things were. So I was not eating anything. I was hopped up on drugs. Nobody knew what was going on with me. They knew that I couldn't be allergic to water, which I was having reactions to. So um, finally, um, my allergist says, this is not an allergy. And they took me to a throat specialist. And I was diagnosed with something called paradoxical vocal cord dysfunction, which is a real thing. You can look it up. Um, but essentially, it's a stress-related illness, um, usually in high-performing young women, you know, believe it or not. Um, but basically, it's that my vocal cords were strained and they were closing up rather than spreading out like they usually do. And it gave me uh, a sensation of anaphylactic shock, but it was not. But then I would have a panic attack on top of it because I didn't know what was happening. So, you know, after the diagnosis, um, it was really great. I stopped going to the ER. I knew what was going on, so I calmed down a lot. And I started talking to God. I said, God, what is going on? What do you want me to learn from all this? And very clearly, he told me, Beth, you need to know how to rest. You need to learn how to take a Sabbath rest um, because you don't stop. You don't know how to stop yourself. Come to me. Let me teach you how to rest. And from then on out, I really have been on a journey of both of studying the Sabbath, um, reading the Word, reading other books, and also practicing the Sabbath, you know, making sure that every week for 24 hours I get some rest. And it's been really life-giving for me. So today, what I want to explain to you guys is a little bit of my journey um, with the Sabbath, a little bit of what I've discovered about the Sabbath in hopes that if you're a person who is very much like me, is working way too much and not resting, God doesn't have to use such extreme measures to get your attention like he did for me. So the Sabbath, I don't know what your thoughts are on the Sabbath, you know, your preconceptions of the idea, but I will start with a very simple biblical definition of the Sabbath. It's a full day of rest commanded by God. It is 24 hours of rest, one day a week. Very simple. And it sounds pretty fabulous, doesn't it? Um, but what does that look like? And as Christians, you know, is this really something that we should be doing? Um, because as you know, Jesus in the um, New Testament, in the Gospels, you know, he kind of has this thing where he does a lot of stuff on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day get kind of mad at him for doing stuff on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to do this stuff on the Sabbath because that's what my father's doing. And so should Christians be doing stuff on the Sabbath? This is an ex- excellent, excellent question. And one we're going to explore today because it is the Red Letter Edition sermon series. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke. We're going to look at one passage of Jesus doing stuff on the Sabbath and explore that today. So Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. Feel free to put it on the screen. I'm reading from a slightly different version. I'm reading from TNIV rather than NIV. Um, But I hope probably not much is going to be different. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, 
and not on the Sabbath? The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is just one example of the many times throughout scripture that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. But I'm going to use it to pull out some of the main themes about Sabbath rest that I've been discovering over this past year. And the main idea that I want to express to you today is that we do the Sabbath because of what God's done. Because of what God's done, we can stop our doing, we can put our doing down, that's a catchy phrase I got from Tim, Tim Keller. We can put our doing down and experience delight. Because of what God's done, we can put our doing down and experience delight. Let's start with what God's done. So in this passage, Jesus heals a woman, right? And listen to the language he uses to talk about this. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. She is set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. The metaphors that Jesus is using here really is that once we were slaves, but now we've been set free. This idea of being bound and being set free on the Sabbath day was really important. And this would have had a particular resonance for the people in the synagogue that day. Because one of the reasons that God gives in the Ten Commandments for keeping the Sabbath is to remember the exodus from Egypt when all of the Israel were slaves, but now they're free. So let's look at that in a little bit more depth. Um, Go back to that commandment of keeping the Sabbath. This is in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. And this is a repetition of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are listed in the Bible twice, once in Exodus once in Deuteronomy. Um, so this is a repetition, but the reason given for the Sabbath in those two places of the Ten Commandments is slightly different. So let's look at this one first, the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, and any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In other words, Remembering that God is a God who frees us from slavery, who frees us from what's bound us, was absolutely a reason why the Sabbath was being practiced at the time. Now, another interesting note about that passage was how inclusive it was, right? You didn't earn the Sabbath, whether by how hard you worked that week or even by being human, you know? 
the animals rested. In other parts of the Bible, it talks about the land having Sabbath rest as well. So God was concerned not just with the Israelites, but the foreigners, not just with men, but with women, not just with people with status, but their servants. Everyone was expected to have the Sabbath. It was something that God did for all people beyond what we would earn by even being human. So because of what God did is the core reason for the Sabbath. And in fact, in other parts of scripture, um, one of the key ideas is that it's a sign between God and Israel that God is the one who makes them holy, not themselves. And that's actually in Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17, um, that he says, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, as followers of Jesus, this would be really resonant for us, right? Because God, who makes us holy, not something that we do ourselves, is essentially what Jesus did. Jesus' work on the cross for our sins, um, he dying and then being resurrected to fullness of life, um, was God making a way for us, God making us holy. So that was another theme of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So because of what God's done, we can put our doing down. Now, let's spend one more moment in the Old Testament and look at that first version of the Ten Commandments, that slightly different reason that God gave for giving, doing the Sabbath. So in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the reason for Sabbath rest given is the creation of the world. And how in six days God created the world, but on the seventh day, he rested. And it says, In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, in other words, it's God's model of rest that we're following also in the Sabbath. Because of what God did, we can also rest. Tim Keller, in his sermon, Work and Rest, which I love, please feel free to check it out, it's a podcast, he looks more fully at this idea in that sermon, um, especially the creation accounts, Genesis 1 and 2. And this is what he says about this particular reason for the Sabbath. He says, what does it mean that God rested if he wasn't tired? Here's the answer. One of the things that's neat about the creation account is that every time God makes something, he looks at it and says, that was good. And when he makes something else, he says, that's good. And then when he comes to the very end, he looks at all of it and he says, that's very good. And that's what it means to rest, to be utterly satisfied with what's been done. That's the only way we can walk away. The only way we can stop and put the doing down. That's where I got the the sticky statement, put the doing down, is if we're absolutely satisfied with what the doing. That's good. That's very good. Then we can rest. So you see the definition of resting is to be utterly satisfied with what was done. So according to Tim Keller, rest is sitting back like God did, utterly satisfied with the work of our hands, saying that was really good. So because God rested from his work of creation, we can rest too. So to sum up all these themes that we can draw from the Old Testament, Um, God created the Sabbath as a day of rest, one, because it was a symbol of his his own rest and enjoyment of creation. So a symbol of his own rest. Second, 
It's a sign that he is our rescuer and our deliverer, that he frees us from what's bound us. And third, that it's a sign of his covenant, that he is a God who makes us holy. And in the Old Testament, that was the law of Moses. Through Jesus, it's Jesus. (laughs) So um, it's a sign that God makes us holy. So we see this theme over and over again. Because of what God did, we can put our doing down. Because of God, we can rest. So let's go back to that passage in Luke and see how all these themes play out. In verses 12 and 13 of Luke 13, we see him setting the woman free. Jesus called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So yes, this healing of her was very appropriate as far as getting at the heart of God's reason for the Sabbath. He was setting her free. And the Sabbath literally became a day of her freedom. And I'd like us for a moment to imagine what that's like. We're moving into the realm of conjecture here. I think it's important to put ourselves in her shoes. Crippled for 18 years. Do you think she arrived at the synagogue that day saying, Ah, the Sabbath. Today is my day of freedom. There's this guy, Jesus. Maybe he'll heal me. Maybe she was. You know, in different points in scripture, it said that people were kind of watching Jesus on the Sabbath, seeing if he was going to heal people. But... After 18 years of being bound and she gets called up to the front, probably there was a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of wondering, okay, here I am. I'm standing in front of everybody, obviously in the midst of my pain. What's going to happen? And in that moment, she was absolutely blown away by the undeserved grace of God, the undeserved being set free by Jesus from her infirmity. You know, she didn't do anything. It didn't say that she came there asking Jesus or even hoping. It doesn't say any of that. It just says that she was there. He called her forward and he freed her. So that's part of the Sabbath. It's not our doing, but God's totally undeserved affection toward us to set us, to set us free. But there's another character in this passage who God was just as concerned about. In fact, there were two characters in this passage who were bound. The other was that synagogue leader. And I think that Jesus was just as concerned with him and how he was doing as he was the woman. So in verse 14, it says, Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Let's take a moment and now and imagine ourselves from his shoes, right? The leader was really bound by the rules of the Sabbath day, but this is not necessarily something for us to immediately turn up our noses about. You know, Sabbath and keeping it holy was a big deal in the Old Testament, okay? In fact, the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was death, okay? So the Jews of the time did something called creating a fence around the law to make sure that they didn't get even close to breaking the law, um, you know, in order to really make sure that they were keeping it holy. So one of the rules that they made to really make sure that they were resting was about medical practice. So that's this idea that you can practice medicine because that's work only six days out of the week. On the Sabbath, you don't, unless someone was dying and then you could save their life on the Sabbath using medicine. And we do have to give the leader credit. God is serious about Sabbath rest, so he is serious about Sabbath rest. And so there was good. But he was so bound by his ideas of what it means to rest 
that he was unable to see in the synagogue that day when God himself showed up and through Jesus did a miracle of healing. He was so bound by his parameters of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, perfectly keep the law and God will be pleased. He was unable to see God's totally undeserved affection on that day. So he totally missed the point. According to the scripture, the Sabbath was to remember that being bound but being set free, that journey from Exodus, you know, on the border of the Red Sea, God delivered them and the slaves were all free. And what the point that he missed there is that God didn't just do that then. It wasn't just a reminder of being set free from slavery once. It is a reminder and an engagement with the God who is still delivering today, the God in the present tense who delivers us from the things that keep us bound. And that was what the synagogue leader was unable to see. And think about it. This is what so often we're unable to see, too. So often we say to God, you know, I'm so concerned about, you know, getting things right and doing things right that when God says, I want to just give you something, we say, no, 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 I'd rather work for my keep, God. I don't deserve that. So let me, you know, do these things over here and then maybe I'll receive what you have to give me. You know, it's not just the synagogue leader. It's us, you know. So because of what God's done, we can put our doing down. And I have a feeling that the reason why Jesus healed so many people on the Sabbath was because he knew that this was the heart of it all, encountering God who, in very undeserved ways, sets us free. In fact, Jesus was very single-minded in his embodiment of these Sabbath principles to the point that he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, and you don't have to turn here, um, he actually says it at different points in all of the synoptic gospels. He literally says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He was claiming ownership of the Sabbath, claiming that embodiment of Sabbath rest as his own. He was and is still today the Sabbath. And although Paul says in Colossians not to judge people for... um, you know, whether or not they keep the Sabbath or other religious festivals, because Jesus died, so we don't have to do all this stuff to get right with God, right? Even though he says that, one of the things he says in Colossians 2, verse 17, is that these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the Sabbath isn't meant to be the end all, right? It's just a shadow of the reality that Christ does in us. But in this way, keeping the Sabbath becomes a symbol of what Christ did for us. The Sabbath is a way we can really engage with Jesus as Christians. So there's one last idea, though, in Luke that I want to turn to before really going into how we practice the Sabbath today, right? Because of what God's done, we can put our doing down and experience delight. So let's look at Luke 13 Verse 17, the very last verse says, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with the wonderful things that he was doing. The people were delighted because it was really wonderful, right? They just saw a woman who was, you know, bent over for 18 years, stand up and praise God. They were delighted. And the Sabbath is meant to be a delight, In Isaiah 58, and again, you don't have to turn here, but this is just for future reference if you want to look this up. In Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, um, it says, 
to call the Sabbath a delight. And it says that if we call it a delight, if we keep the Sabbath, then we will find our joy in the Lord. And it says that God will cause us then to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of our father Jacob. So keeping the Sabbath all throughout scripture, the themes here really are that keeping the Sabbath is a delight. And, you know, you see it also in the creation accounts where God is resting and saying, that's very good, being so satisfied with what he's done. In, in fact, all throughout Jewish tradition, the Sabbath and this idea of delight is completely linked. And if you're in the synagogue and you listen to the liturgy on the Sabbath, you hear again and again that connection between the Sabbath and delight with wonder, awe in what God's done, gratitude, lots of delight on the Sabbath. And it's no accident, I believe, that Luke ended the story here about the woman being healed on the Sabbath with that little tagline about the people being so delighted. Because in the end, who really experienced Sabbath as it was truly meant to be experienced? The people who experienced delight, the people who loved what Jesus was doing, being the God who sets people free in the present tense. So, this is an important view of the Sabbath. Um, the, the idea that the Sabbath is to delight in God and delight while not doing anything. And so here's where our thinking has been a little bit infiltrated by Greek philosophy rather than biblical thought, okay? The idea that rest is not just to make us better workers, but rest is meant to be a delight in itself. So Rabbi Abraham Heschel, in his book on the Sabbath, it's glorious um, if you want to read it. It's really good. He actually talks about this worldview issue. And what he says is that Romans originally would get mad at the Jews for keeping the Sabbath because he thought it was a sign of Jewish laziness. So Romans would come in and be like, you Jews, you're so lazy. Why do you rest one day a week? Come on, get working. And so at that point... um, But um, Philo, a spokesperson for the Alexandrian Jews, uh, actually came to the defense of the Jews. But he didn't come to the defense of the Jews with biblical defense. He came to their defense using a Greek defense. And that Greek defense was that, hey, you rest one day a week so your body can get rested up so you can work all the harder the rest of the seven days. Okay, so that was Greek philosophy of the time. And that was the defense of the Sabbath that made the Romans pretty much okay with the Jews resting on the Sabbath. But this is what Rabbi Heschel has to say about that. He says, To the biblical mind, the Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. Man is not a beast of burden. And the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of his work. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of of the Sabbath. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. So the Sabbath is a day of rest for the sake of fullness of life. And of course, we can only encounter that through Jesus, but we can practice that on the Sabbath as we rest. And this is what I think is one of the most important things that our culture needs to learn about the Sabbath, is that Sabbath exposes and negates workaholism. The idol of work being the most important thing of our lives. A lot of us find our value and our identity in work. Okay? So what the Sabbath does is it's a rest so that for one time out of the week, 
We're not getting our value and our identity from the things our hands do, but we really are receiving our value and our identity from God. So we rest, we put our doing down to experience delight, and that delight is finding our value and our identity, not through the things our hands do, but through the God who loves us unconditionally, no matter where we are, no matter what we do. So how do we do this? How do we engage with Sabbath rest? I have a few practical tips for us to practice this. And those things are to prepare, to disengage, and to be intentional. So let's start off with preparing. Preparation. A lot of us are really bad at resting. And so this means that we need to have a little bit of forethought before all of a sudden Saturday or Sunday comes and we say, ooh, I've got to rest now. What do I do? So pray with God about it. Say, God, what would bring me the most rest? What is truly restful for me? What is truly refreshing? Do I need just a day where I plan nothing? Or do I need to be creative? Do I need to go out and have walks in nature? God, what refreshes me? What brings me life? Do this with your family. You know, I know that a lot of times, you know, I'm not, you know, a mom myself, but I know a lot of, like, my friends who have kids say, hey, it's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week job, and, you know, you never get a break from being a parent. But what if we brought our whole family into a day of rest? What if we prayed with our kids? What if we prayed with um, our significant others? What if we prayed with our roommates? Hey, all together, what would make this day a day of rest for us? And... Also, know what you need to do, aside from the work that you're doing, um, so you can have a day of rest. So sometimes you have to prepare by going to the supermarket on a different day of the week than Saturday. Sometimes you need to prepare by doing the laundry on, you know, a weeknight rather than during the day on Saturday. Sometimes you need to prepare um, by cleaning the house, because I know personally it's really hard to take Sabbath rest if I see a dish that I need to clean or clothes that I need to pick up, those sort of things. So know the things that you might have to do ahead of time to really set aside the day to rest. So prepare. Next, disengage. It is so hard for us to disengage. And, you know, we have, even on our phones, our email. And I would say that one of the first things that I had to do to really encounter Sabbath rest was to create boundaries for myself. And this is different than the boundaries that the synagogue leader was dealing with. It was actually boundaries that God and I talked about and set up, not as law that if I would, like, you know, get angry if I broke it, you know, but just more as, okay, I just need help. I need help learning how to rest. What will help? So I made a rule with myself that I was not going to check email for 24 hours on the Sabbath. Whoa. And if you're like, email, you're kind of crazy here, Beth. That's not a big deal. Why email? Think about how much of your day, your work day, is spent on the email. And then tell me it's not work, okay? So I disengaged from my email. Um, you might have other things you disengage with. Going to the store might stress you out, so you must, might disengage from commerce. But the whole point is there might be some things we have to put aside for one day. And the final thing is be intentional. Be intentional with the story that you tell on the Sabbath. Because remember, the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. It's a shadow of the reality seen in Jesus Christ. So when we enter into the Sabbath, we need to really put ourselves in a place of being able to engage with God, engage with Jesus and what he did for us. 
So it helps to have some rituals for entering in. And this is where um, my Jewish background actually comes in handy. Um, For those of you guys who don't know, my dad is Jewish, my mom's a Christian, and so we actually celebrated both, um, you know, Christian holidays and things. I went to church on Sundays, and we also celebrated Jewish things. Celebrated Hanukkah, went to synagogue on Saturdays. I was a very religious child. Um, So I, you know, but Jewish traditions for the Sabbath are good for entering into the Sabbath. So... One tradition is to light candles, to remember Jesus as the light of the world. Remember God is the one who put light into the darkness of our lives. Also, they say Kaddish, which is basically a blessing over the wine and the bread, communion. So you can enter into and share communion with your roommates and with your family right before you eat um, a Sabbath dinner as you enter into that rest. Eat a nice meal. Remember the Sabbath is a remembrance of God's abundant provision for us. And the first Sabbath mentioned in the Bible, as far as the practice of it, was actually when the Israelites um, gathered in twice as much manna on the sixth day so they could rest completely on the seventh day. So the Sabbath is a remembrance of God's provision for us. So eat a nice meal. Celebrate. Praise and worship. Sing and dance. A great way to experience all of these things, actually, is by checking out um, and like, to learn about these traditions, is to check out the North Shore Messianic Fellowship, which we have a few leaders of that um, group here. So you can talk to um, Bill and Mary Ellen Siegler and Josh Morgan. Um, they lead that group um, on Friday, every other Friday night. So if you want to kind of enter in and practice some of this stuff, feel free to talk with them. Um, But then also, so that's kind of like the entering in ritual, but also pray about how you're going to spend the day up. Be intentional with what you do the day of the Sabbath. Spend time with Jesus. Be silent before him. Stop your working before him. And just let him speak into your heart. Get in touch with the things that you ignore and you suppress during the work week. And allow God to really speak healing into your heart for the things that you can't address when you're working hard. Enjoy creation. God did it. So we can too. So go outside and say, ah, oh God, that was very good. What you did to this earth, that was pretty good. <laughs> and also think about the roles that you want to play for all eternity. You know, you're entering into the Sabbath. It's a little bit like tasting a bit of heaven, right? Where we're really going to be entering into Sabbath rest for all eternity. So practice what you really want to be. What makes you fully alive? What are the things that your hands do that aren't work that makes you Think, ah, this is worth living. This is why I was created. Practice those things with God. Talk to him about them. And a few don'ts on this be intentional thing is, you know, don't just crash and consume mindless entertainment, you know. We need to crash sometimes, and I'm not saying it's bad to crash and watch a movie. But true rest doesn't come from totally turning off the world, right? True rest comes from that connection with God. So, yes, please plan on having a day where, especially if you're running, 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 that you just need to rest and turn things off. Great. Do it. But remember that that's not all that the Sabbath is. Look for more on the Sabbath. Also, don't overschedule yourself. Don't think, oh, the Sabbath. I'm going to go on this nature hike, and then the family's going to have this great meal, and then we're going to do this. It's going to be so fun. You know, if you overschedule, it's just going to be another work day. So, Hold your plans lightly on the Sabbath. Don't be constrained by time. Meander a bit. And finally, don't be guilty about not doing the Sabbath. And don't be guilty if it's really hard. I actually 
my journey with the Sabbath is that I was pretty bad at it when I first started trying to do it. And at points, I'm still pretty bad at it. And I'll check my email on the Sabbath, you know, things come up. Um, But just have the hard attitude of not being bound by the rules, but being like, okay, God, I don't deserve rest, but let's try again. Let's try this rest thing again. So prepare, disengage, and be intentional. Now, it might be hard for us to think about stopping. Maybe it's the money idea. Maybe you have to work seven days a week in order to provide for your family. Maybe it's that a fear of stopping, fear of, oh, if I stop and I am silent and, you know, all the activity stops around me, what do I have left? What's my value? And maybe it's this feeling that your schedule rules your life and not you. So you have all these commitments and you really can't help it. So many people need things from you. And I would say to all those things is, who rules your life? The Sabbath really is a chance for us to say, God, you rule our lives. So who rules our life? Our schedule or God? Who rule, Who provides for us? Are the work of our hands or God? So Sabbath rest really does allow us to check um, ourselves and find out who really is Lord of our lives, ourselves and the work of our hands or God. So the impact is huge. I'd like you guys to just imagine for a second what it would look like for you to experience Sabbath rest, but most importantly for all of us to experience Sabbath rest. Because can you imagine what it would be like as a community if all of us were resting for 24 hours once a week, how much more time we'd have? I feel like when I practice Sabbath, I'm a better friend to God. I'm a better friend to my friends. And I'm more fully myself. And if all of us were experiencing that fullness of life one day out of the week, New Englanders who are desperate for rest would want what we have. You know, what would be a better thing to do? To invite a already overworked and stressed out New Englander to church of overworked and stressed out people? Or would it be better to invite a stressed out, overworked New Englander to encounter the Jesus who said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So imagine what that would look like. So as a people, let's enter into Sabbath rest, remembering that because of what God's done, we can put our doing down. We can stop our doing and experience delight. So I just want to invite the band up here, and I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to go into a bit of response time. <clears throat> so God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we can rest in you. Thank you that, <laughs> like the woman who was bound for 18 years, a lot of us look at you and just need, need that undeserved affection, that undeserved and amazing, blown away by the power of God. God, you're the God who sets us free. You're the God who once bound a slave, enslaved people, and you're God who still does that today. So we just enter into your presence saying, God, we're so sorry. We're a people who's enslaved by work. We're a people who have put work um, above you as an idol in our lives. And we're so sorry for that, God. And thank you that through Jesus we can experience forgiveness. So we receive that forgiveness, and God... We just come to you and ask, Lord, we know that in the scripture you've promised that there is Sabbath rest remains for the people of God to enter into. And so, God, we're just asking, lead us by the hand. Lead us into totally undeserved Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, amen.
So during this response time, things are going to be a little different. Um, the band is just going to play a little bit of instrumental music to begin with. And I want you to get into a posture of rest. Could be that you remain seated. Maybe standing is restful for you, so you can stand up if you want. If you need to just lie down and get on your face before God, or just like lie down to be in a rested position, you know, feel free to go on the sides um, and, and take a break. Just rest before the Lord. But as we have this response, I do want you to think about two things. One is, when you think about setting aside 24 hours to rest, what are the reflexive, you know, moments of fear that you have? What are those things that you're afraid to give up in order to enter into rest? Ask God to illuminate those fears and ask him to give you his reassurances, tell you his truth. That's the first thing. Ask God, what's keeping me from resting? The second thing is to dream with God for a bit. God, what would it look like to rest for one day every week? What are the things that you're calling me to? What would bring me fullness of life? What could I experience with you? What do you want me um, to experience with you? And so pray about that. Dream with God. Dream big. It's going to be a really good day. It's going to be a really good day. So why don't we just go into that response time? I'll pray once again um, that God would illuminate those things to us as we respond. So God, we set aside our own thoughts. And God, I ask for your protection over us that no lies of the enemy would sneak in here as we enter into rest. But that God, instead, just reveal your truth. Reveal your heart. In response to our fears, God, um, what do you want to say about rest? In response to our dreaming with you, what do you want to call us to? What dreams do you want to dream with us about that day of rest? Be with us now. Help us rest. In Jesus' name.